in the third part of my interview with ballet master Robert de Warren. Robert describes his tour with Iran's National Folklore Organization to celebrate America's bicentennial and its frightening climax. He goes on to describe his exit from Iran and his seven-year star-studded stewardship of Milan's La Scala. The interview concludes with the ironic way that he became first artistic director and later CEO of Sarasota's ballet company. It's a fascinating life which never stops surprising. When, when did you finally separate from well, Iran? During our last tour in America, it was the year of the Bicentennial, and so Iran was offering a homage to USA for the Bicentennial. So we went to Washington and we danced at uh, Kennedy Center in the in the concert hall which holds many more people and we presented this performance and we had roses and everything to throw into the audience at the end and it was a great success and then that night we went to the Persian embassy and uh, Zahidi was the, the ambassador and he was the son-in-law of the Shah he was his daughter from his first marriage the Egyptian princess that he married, and then, then he divorced her, and then he married Soraya, who couldn't have children, so he had to divorce her. Soraya was beautiful. She was half German and half Bakhtiar tribe, and then she had green eyes that side. She was amazing. And then Farah is the one that had, you know, four children, and whom I met really just recently into her marriage, one year later. Uh, I met her at the, at the opening of the of the Opera House. And we became, re really, she became all like a friend, you know, within what an empress can do. But we've always been in touch since then. And when Jacqueline passed away, uh, what, in June last year, I, I emailed her and she wrote back directly from her iPhone, you know, and dear Robert, for the first time, she said, I'm heartbroken and it, it's the most moving telegram, you know, it really brings tears to my eye. She says, be good. Every great man has a great lady behind him, beside him or behind him. And your dear, beautiful Jacqueline, who was such a prima ballerina, will be in my mind forever. And God bless you and keep you. I mean, it was oh. so... I cry now. It's just so unbelievable. So then, yes, so we, I was touring America with the, the, the Mahali dancers of Iran. And actually, we started touring. The first place we went, I said, we should go to London, to the Sadler's Wells, because that's where the Shah asked for me and the Iranian ambassador is there and he's the son-in-law and so we'll do that there and the Shah was very pleased so I brought in the publicity director from the Opera House Bill Beresford to come here with Anthony Crickme who's the most famous international photographer for dance to come and film us in rehearsals and out in the country and all of that so he came and filmed a lot of these things. I don't have any of these pictures here. But anyway, and so then we prepared a repertoire and I said we want to bring the classical Iranian musicians with their court uh, costumes from the, the Shah, Shah Abad Safavi dynasty, which has beautiful, it's like, I'll show you the paintings on the wall in, in the dining room there. And, and so we, I inspired choreography from the, the murals of these dancers with exactly those costumes and everything. We did the Kurdish number to close the evening, and then we did two, two, three other tribal dancers 
interspersed with classical music and song and then recitation of the, 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 the Persian uh, mythological literature from the Shahnameh, the Book of Kings of Ferdosi, which is a 10th century volume that brings its century books and books and books of the mythology that created Iran, you know. So it's beautiful. And so we did that at Sadler's Well. Princess Margaret came to the opening night and we have a picture somewhere with her as well. And so I was very, I was used to royalty and the Shah's younger sister came and Princess Margaret and then the, the, pre- the president of the Iran, British Iranian Society, the Persian director. And so they all had Baluchi embroidery on their shirts and the, the Princess Anne, we brought a Baluchi cape, a beautiful, most sumptuous cape. And she was de- dressed in a salmon silk dress which had like little Persian coins like this, you know, as if she they researched something Persian for her to wear. And so when back, back afterwards on stage, she came and we opened this thing and we showed it to her. She said, Mr. Duarte, you expect me to put it on? And I said, no, ma'am, of course not. We wanted to show it to you. Well, I'm so honored. It's very elegant because it's, it's an enormous cloak square cut like this. And when you wear it with your f- f- fingers, your arms out, <laughs> it has all the embroidery and it's very beautiful. So she was very taken with that. And so we got two weeks there and we were sold out for two weeks the first time. And everybody said, the Persian beautiful people the men and the women are so gorgeous and everybody was talking about it and of course the ambassador gave a big reception at the embassy in London and there were bowls of caviar double the size of that (laughs) of the royal black beluga you know along the table like this and everybody was oh my god and Princess Anne came as well actually to the reception and so after that we did various tours and then for the bicentennial we came to Washington and we danced in Washington and then the Shah and the Empress came uh, to President Ford and Mrs. Ford, and and you know we were all there, and so I, you know, I, I was introduced, presented. The Shah and the Empress were coming along the line, and and I was the last person on the line, and so I met the President Ford first, and he was very courteous. There's a picture with him, and he's almost bowing at me, you know, <laughs> because I used to dress as a Qajar prince Ooh. because I wasn't Persian. <laughs> so I said, this is the way I dress because I'm not Persian, <laughs> but I know a lot of what I've learned to do. And said, I think it's a very good idea. And then Mrs. Ford came along and said, Warren, I wanted to tell you, I studied dance with Martha Graham. So I'd love to see different, different dances from different parts of the world. It brings back how intense the body movement is and how you presented each scene from a different place with the characteristics of that and even though they're the same dancers they seem to change character <laughs> I said well because that's what I work on if they, if they do every uh, change costumes and do the same style of movement it's not they all have different he said show me the hand and I showed her a little how they go like this and like this and then out and then they come down and do something like that you know? <laughs> and I showed her all of that I said very interesting anyway so we met them there then we went off an American tour, and uh, the 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 chief the we had FBI security traveling with us, and we had Persian security traveling with wow. us. 
Yeah, this was in, in 70, end of 77. And the, the, the FBI said to him, Mr. Dewar, I want to warn you, we've been, we've been studying the situation. There may be manifestations against His Majesty. We want you to be prepared. We are going to try and get everything under control, but I've been told we should watch for it. So we were prepared, and we went, uh, we went to Chicago, and we had no problem. Then we and then eventually we got to Seattle, and they said, you want to be careful. Uh, there may be some people creating problems. So I said, okay, I know what I'll do. Uh, let's put our, our Turkoman men, who are the real tribal men, and they're six foot four, <laughs> and they're hefty like this. So they were sitting with their big Astrakhan hats at the back <laughs> row like this, and looking like this. And the guys that we knew were going to make problems were all <laughs> sitting there. So they were looking around like this, and they, and they were going to do, and then they didn't do, and the men just did like this. And so they didn't do anything. But when we got to California, we were at UCLA at Bowery Theatre, and uh, I always came in my ceremonial coat to announce what we were doing, and then at the end of performance, I would take Q&As. So I went out and I said, well, welcome everybody. I'm so pleased to present this program to you in honor of your Independence Day and your two two centuries yeah, of, of being a democracy. And a boy was like, can I ask a question, please? And I said, not now, please. I, as I said, we'll do all the questions. No, I want to ask a question. Another boy. Another, another. And then out from the balcony, death to the Shah, a whole banner and pandemonium. And in one second, the Persian security and the ambassador disappeared. And thank God for the FBI. They, they came out immediately and picked up these guys and just handed them down the line of the security people and into a van and everything. It took about 20 minutes and then it was quiet. The Persian security disappeared? It disappeared, yeah. Because, because the son-in-law was afraid the Shah would hear about this, so he said he wanted to uh, make, make some that sort it of... Didn't that it didn't happen. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And he disappeared. And so, and then we, we finished, and I got, at the moment, this, the first guy jumped on the stage and gave me a karate blow across my, oh my ridge. God. And I almost fell, but my dancers were just ready to do a stick dance, you know, when the opponent has a stick and you jump and hit and jump right, and right, hit, right. like they do in Britannia as well, right. and in, in Wales. And so uh, they came out with their sticks and they <laughs> pushed the man away and they grabbed the, the microphone from him. He was going to be shouting and they turned off the loudspeakers. They did that in the wings because one of them was very, very good with recording and he, he helped me a lot in to prepare my tapes wow. for the different tribal music. And so anyway, we finished and then we went back to the hotel with all this police escort around us. And, uh, and I was feeling really bad, but I went to bed and Jacqueline went to be with the, the kids. They were all having their dinner and everything else. And then next day, the do a doctor came to see me that night, but next day he came again. He wanted to know if I had concussion and all right, of that. Right, right, right. So he did a few tests and I didn't have. And I said, I think if I just rest, we can do the show tonight because they wanted to cancel. And I said, no, we won't cancel. Madame Salak, we had a Persian lady who was the, the representative of the ministry who came with us everywhere.
So, uh, the, so I said, no, I'm going to do it. So I said to Jacqueline, you just get a car and go and see Hollywood and all of that. Don't worry about me. I'm going to sleep. And so Jacqueline got this driver in a limousine. She'd never seen a limousine before. <laughs> and they drove her all around, all around Hollywood and everything else. So she came back early. And I was fine, actually. I was feeling a bit unsafe. But as I got up and that, and I had, you know, a lot of Tylenol and stuff for, uh, for the pain. But I did get migraine, really, for almost two years after that. Wow. It would come, and then I had to really rest and that. And then finally it cleared up. But uh, so anyway, so then after that, I called London, and I told them what had happened and I called the Royal Ballet and so um, John Field who was my, my friend he, he was with Madam and he said well Robert was beaten up on stage and that well tell him to come here immediately I want to talk to him so I went to London and she said Robert you mustn't go back it's going to be a revolution in that country we've seen what's happening so you better not go back and I said Madam I can't do that the Shah and the Empress have treated me with such respect and dignity I should go back and resign and then come immediately I think there's time before there's any sort of breakout so well it's on your own head I wouldn't want you to go back at all but oh I my said goodness. no and I went back and I asked for an appointment with the minister and I thought well, how am I going to tell you because at, immediately I got to London they said now now there's this job is available and you've got a job from the Arts Council they want you to create a regional company that will take the place of Saddles Wells Touring it will be based in Manchester and you can make that into a big touring company and then Birmingham Royal Ballet is going to settle in Birmingham so they had all this planned out for me and I said oh, but how can I do that you're ready for it you've done enough now you know what you're going to do I waited for you know she said I waited for for 11 years you know <laughs> now that you're back well you won't be in Royal Ballet because I can't just put you in like that now you've missed your chance she said you know but she really helped and so I signed a contract with Northern Ballet Theatre and and we agreed that they would make no private announce no public announcements until I was back well, they didn't. So when I went in to see the minister, I was going to say, I have a slight heart failure or something. I have to go back to England. Mm -hmm. And he stopped. I said, your, your Excellency, I'm so, I'm so happy to see you. I said, yes. I said, I know you are. And then he sat down and he said, mm, you stopped me when I was going to talk. He said, I just want to tell you that I read in the London Times <laughs> that you signed a contract with Northern Ballet with Northern Dance Theatre. And I said, well, I was going to tell you that because uh, I, some things happened in California that were really unacceptable for me. And he asked me to tell him, and I told him very briefly, but very briefly, and he said, I think you better talk to Her Majesty about that. Her Majesty, not the Shah. So I called the secretary, and they arranged within two days, and I went to see her, and I arrived at around the palace, the, the palace in the summer palace, really near the mountains outside Tehran. And the general of security, because they're all military people, the security is really tight, arrived and he said, oh, Mr. Dewaran, I see you're here. How did you recover from your blow on the head when you were in Washington? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I understand the ambassador said you were promenading in a rather black quarter or something, and you were beaten up and robbed. Oh. I said, oh, did he? He said, yes, I was very, we were very alarmed. That's the report he sent to, 
to his imperial majesty. And I said, oh, thank you so much. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do now. <laughs> right. That's why the minister said, go and tell her majesty. So, And funny enough, he took me around the garden because she had this beautiful library that had these big windows onto the garden. And so when I arrived round, she was already at the door. There was nobody inside. And she said, come in, Mr. Warren. It's so good to see you. And let's sit down and have some tea and talk a bit. I'd like to hear what, how it all went in America. And so we sat down and said, well, now, tell me the truth. That's how she began. And I said, yes, I understand, because I just heard from the general uh, what the ambassador has told his imperial majesty, what the report is. She said, yes, when I read the report and, and, and his majesty remarked, you know, I thought, uh, no, she said, and the Shah remarked, I thought there's something wrong there. And she knew that the son-in-law is, is a real trickster, you know. But the Shah was so naive in a sense, you know. He believed his son-in-law because he was the son-in-law, and the son-in-law was doing things only for himself, you know. Anyway, so I told her what happened, and she just couldn't believe it. And so I explained how on the tour, how it went, and we had warnings here and there, but then what literally what happened in, in Bovary Theatre, Bovary Hall. And, and so I said, you know, I, I really can't stay here anymore because it, the, I've lost confidence now if people are going to give, um, you know, false reports on how I behave and all of that. I mean, she said, but you can call me anytime you want. I said, Your Majesty, how can I call you two or three times a week when I have people doing things that are really incorrect? I can't do that. And I, I said, you know, I, I love this country and, and you've given me so many... Uh, you know, opportunities to do things that I never dreamt about. And I have great love and respect for you, but I really can't. And so I, I think I should go back to England and then let's see what happens if things stabilize. But everybody is so alarmed of what's going on in Iran, you know, I said, outside of this country. And she said, you know, I, kept, I keep telling the Shah and he doesn't believe me because I have people who come and report to me. They're afraid to tell him. And he says, oh, it can't be like that. The people are so nice and this and that and the yeah. other. And he didn't believe it. But his secret police were the ones that hid it from him and stole money and money and money. The secret police are the richest people in America now billions they've taken out of that country and he never warned him I mean he thought he had Khomeini under control you know I mean he should have had Khomeini killed yeah. right at the beginning but he was too kind to do it you know I mean he was uh, General Pakravan who was then ambassador in Paris and then knew about Khomeini in France and what was going on and how the French and the English and America were trying to in, in mate, mate, send him in and he was sending in mullahs uh, who, to indoctrinate the, the religious people in the, in the mosques, you yes. know, under his nose. I mean it was really tragic. So we left. And then a year later, I came back, as I told you, for this ceremony. He was already really very ill, but I did the ceremony for them in the, in the palace. And, they, and, you know, it was amazing. Actually, that day when I went to see the Empress and then I said goodbye, I remember, because I used to buy in the bazaars, wherever I went, I would buy something. And usually I would find antique rings that had some tribal thing or something that was so nice. And I found in one place in Loristan, the one, one was the head of a lion, like that sort of the ring, yes, and in in that in its mouth it had this this uh, conical emerald, you know, 
and and the, then the the masculine one was a little bigger and then the other one and they were the color of this emeralds that were sort of bottle green they were not really very expensive emeralds but they were so cute and the feminine one had had sort of a lotus flower holding this stone and i brought one in my waistcoat and i said your majesty could i give you this in remembrance of the wonderful years i spent in this country I I have one and would you please honor me by accepting this I know it has nothing to do with what the imperial jewels are like she said Mr Duran the imperial jewels are an emblem of the monarchy they're not me ah. you know and she took it and looked at it and I could see this tear you know yes I never forget it yeah So anyway I came back to England took up my job in Manchester and I changed the name from Northern Dance Theatre to Northern Ballet Theatre and made it a little larger and we slowly started to build this classical company and it became the most popular regional company in the country and I I directed it for what I think 12 years and actually the funny thing was that when I came back and I had this company when it was already good I asked to talk to um, Rudolf Nureyev's impresario uh, Gorlinski he was a, a Polish Englishman in in uh, in London Sandor Gorlinski who was uh, Maria Maria Callas's impresario all of those people and I'd met him at the opera house so I said Mr Gorlinski can I come and see you yes of course and I said I want to ask Rudolf to come and dance with us do you think he would agree well let me ask him and we'll see and so he called Rudolf and he said I'm not going back to that effing royal ballet they've treated me so rudely yes I'll go to Robert any time he wants and so i said to gorlinski but i can't pay him the full fee you know minimum was the 10000 pounds of performance no he said he'll do it for half but put him in a nice hotel and then he'll be a, you an angel with you you'll see and that's how i got to know rudolf because he came and i was always very careful because he, i knew he was very temperamental and he could really become wild you know <laughs> but he loved jacqueline and i was very discreet and jacqueline knew how to treat him you know she was perfect with people like him and uh, and so we became good friends and so then he would come three or four times a year and he come to dance at our london premieres but he would dance one ballet he said you have to show your company i'm good for attracting more audience <laughs> but you must show your company and then he would see my ballets and then he would dance in my production of swan lake which i actually designed you know and the premiere for that was in glyndebourne where that's the sort of cradle of the very best opera in england is glyndebourne this this country house who's the the baronet his wife was an opera singer and so he built an opera house next to the mansion so she could have <laughs> her own concert hall and then it got bigger and bigger so it became very famous so i did my swan lake premiere the world premiere was at glyndebourne with princess margaret who became my royal patron and she's i'm so glad you have rudy oh we'll get <laughs> have fun together and we became very good friends because she would come to every opening night she was our royal patron she had to come and she was glad to get out of london you know princess margaret <laughs> it was a hoot absolutely on the night of the premiere uh, i had the white swan which they had elevators that went down so i had from the elevator these silk white wings flew up and and the elevator came up and suddenly the queen queen was there and they went up in the wings and the black swan came down in gold wings which was sculptured with black velvet and she came down like that so when margaret was sitting next to me she said, oh robert that's amazing <laughs> i said ah oh. she said don't be such a sissy i didn't hurt you did i you know can you imagine 
can you imagine? She was God. We became very good friends. I mean, I always had contact with all these people. And then when she couldn't come, she'd send Princess Anne, you know. Mm -hmm. We have the premiere of Othello in London, and she sent Princess Anne because she couldn't come. And so we had Anne there, and I had the, the, the Russian, no, the Persian Armenia composed the score for my Othello, and he was directing the orchestra in London, and he didn't like to bow to royalty. Oh. So when we had to play God Save the Queen, my royalty, you have to play sufficient for that stage, that princess or that prince. You, you don't play the whole thing, it's all for the the queen only and so he wouldn't play he didn't come out and the queen says Robert what's going on I said let me catch the the leader of the orchestra and I was doing like that and he looked up and I said begin begin and Jacqueline waving from the other side of it says begin begin <laughs> <laughs> so I mean and she just chuckled you know they were, they were really nice the royal family I mean one thinks that they're people of another world they're not mm -hmm. they're the same as all of us you know so that was and so anyway and then Rudolph said to me one day Robert when he saw my Swan Lake design and that, he asked me to design it. Mine is based on Fabergé with gold and silver and black, and, uh, uh, and, but a lot of gold and, and gold hues that spread and that. So, you know, it, it caused quite a sensation. And I was nominated for the Laurence Olivier Award, uh, Best Design of the Year. So, I mean, he'd, he, no, he hadn't passed away yet. Yeah, that's right. And then I remember I got a message from him through his daughter from a first marriage who, who I knew. She said, the father says that I'm to congratulate you. I said, well, thank you so much. Yeah. And so anyway, and then Rudolf said, I think you should go to La Scala because they want me, but I've taken over the Paris Opera. And you know, the ballet there is really special. So I'd rather, why don't you take over the La Scala and I'll stay at the Paris Opera. So he said, come and see me, you know, I'll see what I can do. And I thought that's never going to happen. So then he rang me from Milan and said, we're doing the opening night of, of my Don Quixote uh, next week. Why don't you come over and see the opening night and then stay for the weekend or something. So I said, yes, I will. So I go, I leave Jacqueline behind uh, because she had to stay there and in case something happened, you know. She wasn't working with me anymore, but, I mean, she was very much in touch with everybody in the company. So anyway, I go there and I'm in his dressing room and all of that. He said, oh, Robert, I forgot. Uh, I need some documents from the administration at La Scala. So go round to the administration and there'll be a door open, knock on the door and say that I sent you. So I went down and I found this scene and this door was open and there was this gentleman sitting at his desk, enormous desk. And I said, um, excuse me, sir, Mr. Nureyev asked me to pick up some documents. Who are you? He said, I'm Robert de Warren. Oh, yes, yes, come along. And so he got up and sat down on a big sofa. Come and sit next to me. And I said, well, thank you. I don't want to take your time. No, 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 we have something to talk about. And he said, you're going to be the next director of the ballet here. <laughs> and I said, I beg your pardon. Maestro Nureyev says that having you is like having him. So I want you because you're British, you know about discipline and you will have the Russian temperament for, from our dear friend because they loved him at, at La Scala already you know and so that's how I got the job <laughs> then I had to go back and tell the board that I was resigning to go to La Scala and they were really upset and and by that time, you know, I'd built up a really big reputation. But we'd had a good luck because uh, one of the premieres we'd just done, you know, um, Lloyd Webber's uh, 
uh, Phantom of the Opera. Yes, he, the choreographer up for that and for Cats was Gillian Lynn, who was a, a royal ballet dancer like I was. But then she went into into giving movement to the Royal Shakespeare Company and all of those. And then Lloyd Webber saw her and he wanted her to choreograph his musical. So she was very famous. And I'd said to her, Gillian, why don't you come and do a ballet for us? Well, I'm trying. For two years she was trying to. And then she thought, why don't I do a, a ballet based on Lowry who was a Manchester painter you know the match men that does all these black men and mm -hmm. things like matches and why don't we do a ballet on that I've thought of what I can do and we can get Christopher Gable who was a beautiful dancer principal dancer at Royal who went into theatre Shakespearean theatre we'll get Christopher back and then Moira Shearer from the Red Shoes who's retired to be his mother mm -hmm. and I'll work out this and then with your company and I want you to be in it as well and I said well, I'm going to go to Milan, but I mean, I'll try and do it if I can. But then at the end, at the final moment, I couldn't because I had to be going and coming to work my transition out with both organizations. But she did that, and that was the last thing, and that did win the Laurence Olivia Award. <laughs> so we got it in the end, you know. And so I always remained very friendly with, with Chile. But, uh, I mean, we saw each other in London once or twice. She would come often to Broadway because her works were being performed. Mm -hmm. But I could never leave the company enough to get there because <laughs> I had to really pull this on my shoulders. It was like Manchester when I came here. I mean, they had a classical company, but it was really not at a high level. Okay, now so, you're talking about Milan, right? No, I'm talking about here. Well, how did you get here? Well... I missed that transition. Yes, because Rudolf, uh, you know, I would go quite off and then Rudolf got really really sick and nobody knew I mean some people knew and I did know that he had AIDS but he never told me you know and Jacqueline as well he never told us he was very discreet about his private life and he didn't want it banded about and we suspected he did but he was very careful or I noticed that if he just happened to get a scratch Robert go to the chemist bring me this antibiotic immediately and it was some expensive stuff that he would take because he was afraid of the contamination you know and so in the end he was getting weaker and weaker and and uh, he wouldn't be able to dance i remember he did his last nutcracker with us and it was a, it was it was heart-wrenching to see this man who i remembered on his first performance you know and he was like a brother to us he loved coming anytime when i was in england that he i said call us whenever you want he would just call up can i come and shut myself off for a weekend and so he would come and stay with us and we'd have dinner at home and go out sometimes they'd recognize him or no but he knew that in the house he was always proud it, unless he accepted to have if there were dancers then he would say well bring them over for dinner why not a few of the principals or something and he was very nice he really liked helping the young dancers so anyway then of course that's how I ended up in Milan and then in Milan I had a five-year contract and I thought well okay that's good and I started to work and the company is very talented but the unions are horrendous. And we had one dancer who was the head of the union, and he was a monstrous person. He was tall. He was like, uh, what is it, Ichabok Crane or Nickabok Crane? <laughs> Nickabok Crane, yeah. And he looked like he was dark, horrible eyes. And he was, he was horrible, always inciting the kids to strike. And they had no leaders. So I, with the first meeting of the union, 
he wasn't yet. They had two representatives. And, I, I, and they started to talk on that. And I said, well, why don't I become the union and you become the directors? <laughs> I said to him, Maestro, we don't mean that. We just want you to consider our point of view. I said, how do you think that I wouldn't consider your point of view? I'm a dancer. I know how much we suffer to do our profession. You can be assured that anything I can do to make you all happier, that's what I want to do. Because if you're not happy, you won't dance well. <laughs> and it's Maestro, you're a godsend. I said, well, Rudy sent me so thank him you know and so I had no problems until it was time for them to move over and they wouldn't the union that had the ballet didn't want to have us anymore because it was uh, it was a musician's union and dance and the dance the dance people were so indisciplined that they didn't want them as part of that union so we had to go to another union that had nothing to do with dance or theater but would take us on I think they were electricians or something <laughs> like that yeah so then this guy got elected and he was crazy he was just crazy and he was rude to everybody I remember we had Yvette Chauvire who was the ballerina of the opera the star like Margot Fontaine she'd mounted Giselle and this boy had to do Hilarion, the woodcutter and all that. And he came to rehearse in these slippers that are, are like a little bear. <laughs> and he was walking around and I said, Kolakrai, uh, take off those things, put them on the side and, and rehearse like a professional. He looked at me like this, he took one off, he took the other off and he threw it at me. Oh, and Madame Chauvillier said, Mais monsieur, comment vous pouvez faire une chose? Votre directeur est un gentleman. Comment osez-vous? And I said, get out. And he had to go out. And then I went straight down after the rehearsal and told the director general. And I said, I can't have this going on. This is absolutely unconscionable. He said, leave it to me. I'll do what I can. That night, I get home, our apartment building in Milan, and there were like 15 people looking at some graffiti on the wall. And I, I thought, well, and then when they saw me coming, they turned and they, oh, they did like, they said, what's going on? It said, Muori de Warren, die Hi. de Warren, oh in big words like this. I said, this is unbelievable. I knew it was this guy. Right. And so I went upstairs and got my camera. I had a... Uh, what is it? You know the one instant print. Uh, what oh yes, I know Polaroid. Polaroid, yes. And I took several of those, and then I I, I said to Jacqueline, "Wait here. I'm going back to the theatre." And the director general, he was always there he, till very late. Doctor Badini, he was a nice man, and and I told him and I showed him this. He said, "This is." absolutely impossible he said uh, and he called his secretary and the porters go right down to the ballet studio and tell the ballet master to bring all the dancers upstairs immediately and so they all you know they got this mission they all ran up in their clothes into this rather wide corridor outside his and, and I was there you know and he came out and he was raging and he said kolakai inja no not inja aki aki Immediatamente, you know, I mixed my person with my Italian. <laughs> yeah. And so he came and he said, Si, direttore, che vuole? Yeah. Arrogant like that. Osate fare qualcosa così, you know, and he was furious. And he said, get out of here and you can count your days in this organization. It took us two years to get the legal process to work to get him out because they're, they're employees of the government and you have to do a legal case that has to build with witnesses and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had to do all of that. Finally, we get him out and Dr. Badini is called by the President of the Republic to take a very important position in Rome. Oh, 
And I said, how can we be without Dr. Baldini? He goes away, and Rudolf uh, Butler, a person who was his right hand in Italy, Luigi Pignotti, uh, saw that Rudy loved me too much, so he started sabotaging me undercover, you know. And when this new director came in, he went to him and said, you know, Rudolf isn't really happy with De Warren, and he does these things, and this and that and the other. And so he started to break my tenure. And uh, so he called me in one day, the new one, and in his office was Dr. Mazzonis, who was the general artistic director. I was artistic director of the ballet, but he was artistic director of the whole theater, and he worked with the opera director and the ballet director and the choir director and the orchestra director to coordinate what the season would be yearly. And actually, my responsibility was also all the finances, so I was director. I wasn't just artistic director, direttore del ballo, they call it. And so, you know, I had to calculate the budget for all. The dancers were paid by the state, but everything else, ballet masters and designers and choreographers and guest artists, all of that, I had to coordinate. So I had a budget of three or four million dollars just for that, for the ballet. In those years, it would be like 20 million now. And so we had at La Scala $130 million a year in, the, in those years, can you imagine? Wow. Plus what they raised from donations from the millionaires all over the world. You know, so we had almost $200 million a year. Wow. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. And so uh, he said to me, well, Mr. DeWarren, if I'd been the, the director general, I would never have engaged you here. And I said, Dr. Fontana, I can assure you that if you'd be the director, I would have refused to come here. <laughs> and I just got up and walked out. And he was, I could hear him say, come on, how does he dare talk to me like that? But this Fontana was an imposter. His father had been one of the great directors of La Scala in the time of Calas and all those big yes. stars. And he was a little boy growing up and he got this from political strength yeah. Yeah. that he was appointed. But he was an idiot, you know. And so that was the beginning of us. And then he tried to fire me. And I said, I'm sorry, look at the contract. You can't <laughs> fire me. You know, I have another two years to go. And so he said, I can't, well, I won't let you be the director. I said, I'm sorry, you must pay me the money for the remainder two years. And Badini said, and, and Badini said, well, let me talk to Mr. Duar. So then the Dr. Massonis, we got on very well. He was actually a baron, a baron. He was a very aristocratic man, very nice man, typically Italian of the upper class, but very fair and honest. And he said, why don't you get a lawyer? Get a lawyer, please. And then we'll talk to the lawyer and we'll work out a deal. So then I was called by this lawyer whom I'd met because he was also the lawyer of an agent that worked with the ballet that I, I engaged people through this agent and the lawyer would be the one to draw up the contract. So this gentleman invited us to his house on one of the lakes, not Lago di Como, Lago di Garda on the other side. And we spent, we went there on a Sunday and he was so nice and a charming wife and he loved the ballet, he really did. And he said, well, let's do something. I don't know if I can get you to stay as the director, but I'm going to get you to stay not only for the two years, but another three years more. So I'm going to negotiate a five-year contract in compensation for what he's done to you. And he did. So uh, at the end of that season, no, I still had another season planned, but at the end of that season I became, because I always was the artistic supervisor of the ballet school, which was 
from 175 years old, you know. So it was a time of when the Paris Opera started and the Russian Ballet and the Scala Milan all started there. They all copied Paris. So I was already the artistic advisor. So with the director of the school, then we started to plan ways of taking the school on tour with stars from the ballet. And, and but they, he, they couldn't refuse us using the stars from the ballet because the level of the school was so high. I mean, dancers now like Roberto Bolle and Mara Gagliatti, they're international stars of the highest name, you know. I mean, they're stars of ABT and of La Scala Milan, stars of the Royal Ballet and La Scala Milan. You know, they went to theaters all over. And they were my students, you know. So I stayed there for seven years, yeah. Mm. And then I was director of that, and I was also director of foreign representation. So when we had to go to juries and things like that, I always went on behalf of La Scala, and I organized uh, performances of international stars. I did a performance, for example, when, when the war broke and we had the liberty, in, in honor of the liberty of Europe, you know, we did a gala with stars from all over the world in Brussels, and it was a very big success, except that the agent that La Scala told, told me to work with was a crook. He was, yeah, he was one of those Belgian crooks, and he went off with the whole box office money. Oh. And thank God I'd managed to have him pay because he was supposed to pay before the performance. We had three performances. He paid after the first one. And then the second one said, oh, I'll have it all for you tonight and I'll pay you tonight and tomorrow. And it will be. And then he came after the, the performance on the second night and said, I'm sorry, nothing was ready. The, my finance department, I don't know, they didn't finish. I said, well, I tell you, if you don't bring it before the show tomorrow, we're not going to dance. And so he came before the show. Mr. Duar, it'd be ready by the end of the show. I said, no, before the show. And I really was sticking to it. And then, I don't know, then the dancers, the guest stars I had from Royal Ballet and everybody said, Robert, why, let's do it anyway. The house is sold out. I said, well, I don't know. And then, you know, and Jacqueline said, don't do it, don't do it. And then in the end, I said, okay, we'll do it. So, I mean, I was going to go out to tell yeah, the audience. Right, right. And I didn't. And of course, by the time I came out, he disappeared. And next morning, uh, I, he said he was going to call me at two o'clock and give me all the money and everything was finished. And I said, when next morning he went early to his office, the office was closed. There was a black rubbish bin outside bag. I picked it up and put it in the taxi, went back to the hotel and opened it. And it was all his papers. And he sent a telegram to La Scala, to the, the financial director, and said, Mr. DeWarren has cheated us, he didn't sign the contract properly, and we, so I can't pay him. And, and, you know, can you imagine? And then there was another telegram to his girlfriend, my darling, I've got all the, all the, all the money, I'll meet you in San Maurice tonight. Oh, but I had that. And so then I rang my friend, this one who is half Persian and, and is the, was the director of the World Bank, and I said, look what's happened. He said, I have a friend who's an international lawyer in Brussels. He'll call you tomorrow. And so he came to see me, and I showed him everything, these things and that. He said, Robert, you stole those documents so legally in court, they're invalid. Well, but you know that what I'm telling you is truth. I said, yes, I'm going to try. And so he did, and he called the police, and he made the, the, the declaration 
feedback, the, what you call it, the complaint, and all of that, and they, they opened the file and everything, and Mr. Verkuter was going to be called. Well, he wasn't called, and so he went back and he said, no, no, Sari it's getting to the top of the pile like this, but what Verkuter had a friend in there that he paid, every time he got to the top, he put it, he put it in the bottom. So the months went by, and in the end, the lawyer said, Robert, I just can't get the justice to have your documents. And so he said, I think we'll have to leave it at the end. So I did. But of course, when I went back, then the Secretary General, who knew me very well and trusted me, Mr. Dewan, I know that you've been cheated, and I know that I didn't want that agent to work with you, but Fontana doesn't understand him. I said, this man has no reputation. How can you trust that Robert Dewan can have the finances from this man? He has to make a contract with La Scala, not with Robert Dewan, you know. And the man said, no, I'm quite happy for the artistic director to have the contract with me. And then he said, I falsified my signature or something like that, or the signature of somebody at Lascaux. Oh. So he left me in really bad, but, but Dr. Fontana couldn't get rid of me, and so I really couldn't do much, but I went every day and I coached the children and I created choreographies for the school. We had two performances a year, so I set a Coppelia for them and all of that, because he couldn't tell the school what to do, because the director and I were colleagues, and she would never do something against me, you know. And so finally, I was released. But I, so I came to Sarasota during a summer holiday, because my friend who was director of the Royal Danish Ballet, and he was an international choreographer and dancer, Fleming Flint, uh, the ballet critic that he, we knew from having visited me when we did one of Fleming's ballets in, La in England, uh, was on, on holiday. They had a house here in Longboat Key. So I, I was stuck in, in Milan because I was uh, signing contracts for... Um, for people like uh, like Martha Graham, Agnes DeMille. Agnes DeMille was to, going to do a ballet for us and I came to sign her up. And then when I wanted to go to Milan, there were storms and the, the flights to, to Milan were cancelled. So I called this friend and he said, well, why don't you come and spend those storm days with us? So I went off to, to I came here and I met him and he said, I'm going to introduce you to the founder of, of the Sarasota Ballet. So I go to a board meeting and... and um, uh, yes, and, and she said, well, bring him to the board meeting because I'll be there and then he can meet the board as well. So I met Jean Widener there and said, Robert, how nice of you to come and this and that. Would you help us, please? Because today we're looking over the t final 10 finalists to the, the position of artistic director here. And, and so that was that. And I said, yes, of course I can help. And I still had another two years to go when that happened. And so, um, you know, we were sitting there and discussing and there were people that I knew, and, and I said, well, isn't that in the air? Andre Prokowski, I knew him very well. He'd done many ballets for me. And I said, yes, I know he's a very good choreographer and a very, uh, he's had his own company, which he directed. So you might want to consider him. And then one gentleman says, no, no, we don't want any of those. We want this man. And he was sitting next to me. And he was like in jeans and a, a plaid shirt and that with gray hair, small man. It was Marvin Danto, one of the richest men in our community <laughs> that gave the ballet millions of dollars. So when he said, I want this man, everybody said, oh, well, Mr. Danto. And, you know, and Jean sort of looked at him. She didn't like him. She said, well, Mr. Danto, if you think so. And then she, she uh, yes, it was the interviewing committee. So then she said, uh, she, I don't know why she said, um, could I be 
excuse one moment, and she went out, and then the secretary, who was the chair of the, the interviewing committee, Pat Silver, who'd worked with Margot Fontaine, you know, had sent, had, uh, yes, knew that I had worked with Goncharov, you see, and she said, well, I think we should now take a vote. Do you all vote for Robert DeWar before <laughs> Jean got back? Because she knew Jean wanted an American guy, you know, and so she said, and everybody said unanimously we vote for Robert DeWard. And when Jean came back, Danto said, Jean, I'm sorry, but we thought it might be better to do this without you here because you are an employee. You are the founder after all, but you are also earning money from the company. So we've all taken the unanimous vote and we know that you'd agree that we want Robert DeWard <laughs> to be our next director. And she said, oh, of course, Robert, how honored I am. She had been in Stuttgart Ballet after me. She, pro she presents herself as a prima ballerina of the suit. She was called a ballet. She never <laughs> was a principal dancer. This is the myth of Sarasota. Uh -huh. And I knew when I saw that, I said, well, if I ever come here, I've got to be really careful because, I mean, Pat Silver then afterwards invited me to dinner and told me, you know, that she knew Margot Fontaine and George Gonchar. She said, that's why I knew I had to vote for you. I said, well, Pat, that's a great honor, and I don't know if I can come. I still have two years going, and I can't really break my contract. I'm going to use a lot, lose a lot of money. Well, let's work on it and go back to Milan and discuss with Jacqueline and with the board, with the whoever, and see what you can work out. And so then on the way back, I went to New York, and then I flew back to Milan, and... Uh, and I went to see the general secretary, who really was a close friend, and the, the artistic director. But the artistic director, the new director, had reduced his position. He had a beautiful office, which was also a piano auditioning room and a singer auditioning room, where the singers would go into this beautiful room with the grand piano and do their voice and everything as an audition. Well, he thought he had a bigger office than, than himself. And so he said, no, you must have an office upstairs. I need this room for meetings for my receptions and that. He's big man, a horrible man, like Trump, you know, just like that. And so that's what happened. And so then, you know, I went on and I tried to get going and everything, but he was doing more and more and more. And then in, fi in the, uh, in the fi in final instance, I thought, well, I'm going to resign. So I, I wrote a resignation letter. He wrote me a letter and said, well, you are fired. This is a cancellation of your contract because you're not fulfilling your duties, so you are fired. And you know he owed me three years of royalties and he stole $350,000, just went down the drain. What can I do? Anyway, we moved. Jacqueline was upset because of the loss, but she was happy that we were going to America because we really loved America. After we did those tours with the Iranian company, the people were so absolutely charming. You know, everywhere we went. I've got to tell you that when I left the company and with the school, I opened a college degree for dancers retiring who wanted to become ballet masters, pianists who want to specialize in playing for ballet, designers for ballet, everything that related to ballet, you know? And we opened this thing, and so I got this, this doctor in psychology for business to come and teach us business psychology, how to negotiate in the course, and they were all adults. So I attended every course, and it was the 10 principles of negotiating without losing senza perdere la faccia, without losing, losing your face. face. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And it was amazing. I mean, it really changed my life, because then I realized that I'd been, I'd been suffering for no reason at all, because why would I feel diminished? 
diminished if somebody said, oh, no, I can't accept, it has to be my way. Why would I feel that they were walking over me? They were trying to. I could say, yes, well, I understand. You know, for me, I feel exactly like you. We can shake hands on that. So let's see what we can do to meet and make these things happen. And I learned how to negotiate, and it changed my life. So it wasn't until I left Milan or I was in Milan that I learned the art of negotiation. You do a lot of lectures, a lot of lectures. Is that what you're doing now? Yes, I do a lot of lectures on ballet, from the origins of ballet through all the periods until the early 20s when Diaghilev came to Paris and it was the revolution that, that just revolutionized music, painting, dance, absolutely every art. And then how in the 20th century grew the different personalities, Nijinsky, Pavlo, Rakasavina, and then Rudolf Nuri, Margot Fontaine, and Balanchine. So the last question that I like to ask is... Having given your life mm. to dance, and you absolutely have given your life to oh, dance, yes, what would you say that it was like, or what would you say about it? Well, I'm just privileged, and I can't even believe what I've done with my life. I right, can't even believe that, you know, that so many people went out of the way to keep me up, to push me forward, to challenge me. It's not me, it's, it's what God gave me and how I could bring it about, you know. That is the perfect place to stop. This, this has been extraordinary. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, okay. Robert Warren. Thank you, it's a pleasure.